presented by the Common Sense Institute. Welcome to Common Sense Digest, the podcast that seeks to inject a little common sense into Colorado's policy discussion. Here's your host, Earl Wright. Welcome to Common Sense Digest podcast. My name is Earl Wright, and I am chairman of the board of CSI. Thank you for joining us today. Today's conversation covers Proposition 119, Learning Enrichment and Academic Progress, or LEAP, which will appear in Colorado's November ballot. Proposition 119 proposes a phased 5% additional tax on recreational marijuana to fund school learning enrichment opportunities for eligible Colorado children. LEAP prioritizes low-income students, allows parents to decide which learning enrichment program or programs best fit their children's education needs. To help us navigate this topic, I have the pleasure today of being joined by the Honorable Mike Johnson, one of the state's most prominent leaders on school choice and education reform, is the current president and CEO of Gary Community Ventures, and a former Colorado State Senator and a 2018 Democrat gubernatorial candidate. Mike, it's great to have you on board. Thank you so much for inviting me. Delighted to be here. I'm also joined today by Doug Robinson, the co-founder of Kids Tech, an organization bringing in after-school tech training to underserved communities and chairman of Smart Colorado, a nonprofit protecting kids as marijuana is commercialized. Doug is a former investment banker, a successful one, I might add. And like Mike, who was candidate for governor in 2018, though, as a Republican. Doug, it's great to have you on board. Earl and Mike, great to be with you. Really looking forward to this. Well, I'm looking forward to discussing important propositions with both of you guys today. Mike, let's start with you. You were instrumental in helping craft this ballot issue. Tell us a bit more about the purpose of Proposition 119 and your involvement. You bet. Delighted to be on here and delighted to have so many great partners. Uh, I think we were inspired uh, to put this Proposition 119 together for a couple of reasons. One is obviously people are seeing growing inequalities in our education system that have only been exacerbated by the pandemic. We know that more and more kids are falling behind in the core skills around reading and math. We just saw our most recent set of state assessments that show the largest drop in proficiency in and any time that since we started testing, uh, meaning that only about a third of our kids are proficient in third grade reading, only about a third are proficient in math in the middle grades. And we know we got to fix that. And we know one of the most powerful ways you can fix that is giving kids access to out of school learning opportunities. It's still 80% of the time that kids spend learning is outside of the eight to three school day. It's afternoons and weekends and summer. And we know that middle class families are able to give their kids all sorts of options there that help enrich their learning and accelerate their progress. And that we know that many low-income families can't access uh, those opportunities. And so we think this is a really innovative and important way to try to help close some of both those opportunity gaps, the kind of experiences kids have access to, and achievement gaps, the ways they can help catch up and keep up in math and literacy so that kids from across the state would be able to uh, get access to those providers, whether it's an after-school tutor or a summer camp or a science program that we think really help. Uh, supplement that out-of-school learning. And so we think this is a real uh, first-in-the-country model of a way that we can put Colorado at the forefront of trying to close equity gaps and also provide really great services to families across the state. So that's what got us really inspired to try to put it on the ballot and put it in front of voters. Mike, I have a lot of follow-up questions, but let's get, go to Doug for, Doug for a second. You have a wide-ranging background, Doug. Interestingly, you currently work in two areas directly impacted by this proposal, out-of-school learning and marijuana policy, kind of two extremes there on on this issue, I'd say. Share a little more about your background and what made this proposal jump out to you and uh, your possible support of it. Not possible, but uh, strong, uh, very strong support of it because it lines up exactly with 
where I've spent the last uh, 30 years of my life. And and maybe it starts with that I have, uh, Diane and I have five children. So uh, we've uh, been through all of their education and so on. And along the way, you notice that some kids don't have the same opportunities as others. And so coming out of that, I was an a investment banker focused in the technology space. Some of us said, man, we, we could do something about that. So we started an organization, Kids Tech, which went into the Denver Public School and Aurora Public Schools and provided great education and curriculum to give them technology skills so that they could learn how to use Microsoft Word and Excel and research on the internet. And we saw the impact that that had in their lives. Just uh, real quick, a kid, Juan Vargas, who came from an immigrant family, first generation in this country. And uh, he was probably destined to go and join his dad at the garage, which is fine. But uh, somehow through our program, he got inspired to do something with technology. And then he did, got inspired to go to college, went to CU, got a degree in programming today as a job at Slack, a uh, exciting computer software company at probably close to $100,000 salary. This is life changing for these kids. I've seen that firsthand. Then as marijuana was commercialized, I was concerned about the impact it was going to have on kids. And so our organization, Smart Colorado, is focused on protecting kids as marijuana has been commercialized. And this program, LEAP, brings together the things that I care most about, which is giving more opportunities for kids. And we'll talk more about that and making marijuana a little bit more expensive. So maybe it's a little bit more out of the reach of kids. And I I think this is a, a fabulous ballot initiative. I'm all in. Thanks. I appreciate it. Let's discuss some of the, spe- the specifics of the program. Mike, uh, who is eligible for uh, to receive LEAP funds? And how much can each student receive? And uh, where can they use those funds? How do we know that they're going to use them for what you intend? All great questions. So the target for this program is, is low-income kids. And so that would mean our focus is on kids that are on free or reduced lunch around the state. We know are most likely to be falling behind. Uh, the target is, as you did, mentioned in your, the analysis that, that Common Sense did, you know, the target is about $1,500 a year of funds that a, that a family could use. And the reason why we chose that number is we did a lot of calculations of what kind of services family most typically access and most typically use. And a, uh, one of the major ones is tutoring. That would make a student eligible to get you know two to three hours a week of tutoring for a whole academic year. Uh, another one is is summer opportunities. And that would also enable a family to do five or six weeks of summer camp at a place like Denver Science Museum or uh, the YMCA or places that offer both academic enrichment and really great um, uh, social emotional support. And so we've designed that structure around what we think would be meaningful for parents. Uh, and the goal would be that we hope we have a lot of parents who take us up on it and use it right away. Uh, if the dollars are not all used, then you could open it up to additional groups of students who are eligible. But our intent is that there is enough need among those highest priority low-income students that they will use uh, all those slots in the initial years. So let me just kind of follow up with some, maybe some obvious observations and questions. So the the starter for this program is the parents need to observe that the, that the student needs help. Is that correct? Uh, well, so students, you know, parents will be will be informed that they're eligible, their students eligible based on their income levels originally. And so they'll say, hey, you've been approved for funds for the LEAP program. They'll be able to go to a platform that will show all the providers in their community. Right now, their, their district schools and their charter schools are already approved as providers. Their district and charter school teachers are already approved as providers. 
And then we imagine there'll be a whole set of nonprofits and online providers and others who will have our high quality services that parents could choose from. So the idea is they'll get notified that they're eligible. They'll go and look on the platform on what kind of providers are available and they'll pick what they think is the best fit for their child's need. Okay, sorry, sorry to be so maybe uh, dense here, but so the parents have to be notified they're eligible or can the parents take initiative on their own saying, hey, my child needs help. What's the key to get this whole thing started? Like if I have a child that's got difficulty, do I have somebody notify me that they're having that this program is available or can I take the initiative if I have, if I'm assuming I'm in the bottom two quintiles of the socioeconomic ladder, okay? Great point. You could, you could do either, Earl. So really what we know is we will make sure that the school district and or the state or community organization notifies the parent that they are eligible proactively. And of course, if a parent knows that they have a student who they think needs support, they could come to the LEAD program and say, I think I'm eligible. I'd like to be able to get services and they could get approved that way. So either one is possible uh, for those parents that aren't yet uh, as proactive. We'll make sure they get notified. But if a parent uh, is in the low income brackets and uh, wants to get services, they could reach out proactively. Absolutely. So the school, in effect, the teacher is going to, in essence, identify the child has got some difficulties or could use some help. And then somehow within the system that the organization is going to notify the parents or the school is going to notify the parents. And, and Earl, maybe I can just jump in. One of the things that I love most about this is it's not just for those kids with difficulties. Probably that's a small percentage of it. The, the, you know, those are there are research resources through the public schools already available to those kids. This is for kids that want to get that better tutoring, to get the better grade on the SAT or the ACT or to get into technology or into science or do that uh, summer internship. So it's really hopefully for all kids. Uh, to enhance and improve their academic and social and emotional health as well. Yeah, but as Mike said, if I understand what what Mike's comment before, it's the bottom, it's the kids that are at the poverty level or close to that with regards to the family's income that get priority. Did I understand that correctly, Mike? That is correct. They are prioritized and they would be notified that they are eligible for those funds right away. Any family could reach out and put themselves uh, into the pool for eligibility, but those students, the first priority will go to those students who are low income. But to Doug's point, you'll have some low income students who are doing great in school, but really have a passion for science and want to go to space camp, or you'll have some students who are really struggling in math and need a math tutor to help them catch up. Uh, the, it allows for options for those parents and what to pursue, but the first cut of eligibility would be based on their income level. Mike, you may not have been uh, forewarned of this, but I don't think Doug has been either. But, you know, I, I didn't come here to get uh, give you guys easy questions. So let me start with this one, if I may, with a follow-up. Uh, this will be a statute. Is that correct? That is correct. So the legislature can change it at any time. Is that correct? That is correct. And I appreciate the hard questions, actually. It wouldn't be meaningful without it. So I expected nothing less. That is, that is correct. Uh, that's true with all statutory change. The reason why we did that is, is, is one, we believe that the leg- as having been a former member of the legislature, when the voters of the state of Colorado speak on something, I think the legislators are quite clear about deferring. I think they're not likely to, to try to assume that they're smarter than the Colorado voters. So I think it carries a much bigger weight than just a regular statute might. But the other thing is we also assume that there may be things that we can't foresee 10 or 15 years down the road that may change about the program. Suppose that the program grows so large that we have far more uh, resources than we have number of eligible students. Maybe you want to increase the amount of dollars per kid that they're awarded. We think that kind of flexibility could help over time. But this is also why we've set this up as an independent uh, state entity, a type one board that has control over these dollars. So the legislature couldn't just raid 
the appropriations of these dollars, they go they're continuously appropriated to the to the authority so that they can continue to spend them in the same way that a GOCO does or a Civil Rights Commission does or a Tony Gramps's fund does. So we have set up some real independence. But yes, yeah, statutes can be changed. We think they wouldn't be changed to violate the spirit of the program, but uh, they could be changed to improve the operations of it if that were necessary. Well, Mike, not to rain on your parade, but we've had some referendums that the uh, state legislature has decided not to follow the the uh, public voice on those referendums, but we won't go there for the time being. Let's hope that they use the good judgment that you're saying Doug, from time Doug, to time. Doug's going to make sure and hold their feet to the fire. <laughs> well, we're going to have to stay engaged, aren't we? CSI recently released a 2021 ballot guide with analysis of several November ballot proposals, including Prop 119. It showed that the potential reach of the program, which is rather extensive, and Mike, you've referred to it to some extent, and the impact could be substantial for Colorado. And I think Many of us uh, on this podcast, as well as people that that uh, the three of us have a chance to meet from time to time, want to decrease that income inequality gap. We know education is a key key component in doing that. Right now, you've got this set up for two and a half hours of tutoring every week in the academic year with a full use of leave funds. Why only two and a half hours? So if you look at, there's actually an extensive body of research right now on tutoring, and it's called high dosage tutoring. It is the single most transformational tool to help a student catch up to grade level. And they've ex- studied extensively. How many hours do you need? What dosage? What duration? What uh, class size? And the research shows overwhelmingly, if you're in a group of four or less, so two or three or four students, if you're doing between one and a half to three hours a week of continuous um, support, and actually often that can have a high impact just over 12 or 15 weeks. It could be a semester. Uh, but we know that is the dosage or duration that can get a uh, kid caught up two grade levels in one year's time. And so we looked very carefully at the research on what the right amount of time and, and access to tutoring was for a student to make an impact. And that's what the research tells us. That's why we focused on that as the goal, if that's what a parent chooses. And, and uh, Earl, can I make another comment? Please, Doug. So one of the things that I'm most excited about as well is uh, what happened in Iceland over the last 15 years. And uh, 15 years ago, Iceland had the uh, most significant substance abuse problem among youth in all of Europe. And today they are one of the least of in Europe of substance abuse. And what they did was they focused as a country on giving kids after school opportunities, getting them involved in meaningful ways in opportunities to enhance themselves and their skills outside of school rather than just hanging around and, and doing other things. So I see not only academic uh, in, you know, increases in, in Colorado. But sadly, uh, our, our kids in Colorado are at the very top or very bottom, however you want to look at it, in terms of the highest substance use in the country. And hopefully one of the benefits of this will to get them engaged in meaningful activities in a way that will uh, reduce some of that. Well, let's, let's talk about the, the kids that could be benefited, at least as far as the CSI study goes. Uh, they talked about... Uh, if for the full $1,500 benefit, which my math says that would be about 80 different meetings, I believe, throughout the year or whatever. But anyway, the point is, is that that would be 94,600 students could benefit for the full $1,500 benefit. Does that reach all of them that we really want to reach, Mike and Doug? Or are we just kind of going to the tip when you say only one third of all of our students are at proficiency level in reading and math? And there's 284,000 students that could possibly be eligible for that. My math suggests that we're about, you know, we're a ways, a long ways off of reaching all the kids 
who have deficiencies in math and reading. So what, help me out. Are we just kind yeah. of, uh, t- you know, partial, getting to the partial solution? Uh, you know, I think it's a great question, and it is, it is, a, it is a place to start. Um, I think the key is that will cover 100% about of kids at around 150% of the poverty line, the federal poverty level and below. That's the kids in the most extreme circumstances and under the greatest duress and often the farthest behind because they're the kids that have a 30 million word gap by the time they're three years old and what they hear from parents at home and all the things that we know affect long-term learning. And so this allows us to focus on the highest need population, but it also depends at what rate families use it. If some families choose not to use it and only you know, a third of them sign up, then that would mean you could serve all 300,000 students on, on free and reduced lunch. If half of them sign up, you could serve, you know, ha- uh, half of them. And so the number, and, and then it depends how the fund grows. If the fund continues to grow over time, you could serve more and more students. Uh, and if there are other revenue sources that we choose to add in or the legislature does, you could grow the size of this revenue. We view this as a really important place to start. Uh, and again, it's almost like offering extended school days and extended school years for those students who want it and need it the most. And we may find it so successful that there's a case for us to spend more public dollars to do more. And, and Earl, I would say uh, I'm impressed with how thoughtfully it was put together and that it doesn't, it actually phases in the tax uh, in the first year is 3% on top of the existing uh, 15% marijuana tax, uh, then goes to four and then to five. So it's a, you know, it's a, it's not that significant of a, of a, of a number, you know, compared to the taxes on uh, cigarettes, it's still significantly below and uh, we'll have uh, maybe some impact in raising the price a little bit there, but the the impact on these kids, starting with these uh, kids that come from our, our poorest neighborhoods is gonna be profound. You talked about the source. Uh, there's another source of funds too, if I understand it correctly, Mike, and that has to do with the 22 million annually from the long, uh, in the long run from the state land board revenue. Explain what in the world that is and how that might be taking from be these funds might take from other uh, important uh, programs that these monies would be funding. I, I appreciate it. Well, now you've stepped into some complicated state mathematics. I'll do my best to do it quickly. But there is the example I use is, is there is right now uh, the state land board, which governs uh, all of the state land. And that means they use, they invest it. They lease it out to farmers that want to graze cattle. They lease it out to people that want to drill oil and gas leases on there. But the state generates revenue from the, from that land every year. Uh, and then what happens is some of that revenue goes to support the best program, which is school construction. None of that would be changed. Other money then uh, after they've paid off the cost of the land board goes back into the permanent fund. The permanent fund is kind of like a lockbox. Um, once the dollars go in there, you can never pull it out. But the interest from that program can generate re- returns. I tell you, we'd probably be better off if Doug Robinson were running that fund because right now it's got a billion dollars in assets and it returns about 3% a year uh, in, in returns. And so... That means if you have $20 million, you put it into that fund, you're getting $600,000 a year out in terms of in terms of education funding. What we propose instead is to move that $20 million directly into K-12 education, into the state education fund, which gets spent on K-12 education every year. So that would, that would increase the amount of K-12 spending every year. And then it takes a separate allocation of $20 million from the general fund to fund the LEAP program. So uh, this actually will expand the amount of money that goes into K-12 it will still divert about half those dollars back into the permanent fund. So we keep building that base. But the real strategy to increase the permanent fund is to give them more investment autonomy over the kind of, of investments they can make so they can get more into equities and other options that are a little higher risk, but higher return. Uh, but this will both get more dollars into the permanent fund 
and get more dollars directly into K-12, which we think is an important net contribution. Let, let's make a simple just uh, suggest that somehow out of the uh, state land board revenue, $22 million is going to be a part of this program. That is correct. $22 million will come from the general fund to fund LEAP each year, around 20 or $22 million, depending on what the revenues are each year. We get the uh, the last allocation. So if revenues drop, we might get slightly less. If they increase, we might get slightly more. Doug, you've you've been involved in the tech side of uh, helping the, the students learn. Um, and I know you've, I believe you've been doing that with public and your own funds, if I remember correctly. And would the kids have a chance to get engaged? Is this something that you approach the kids on? Or is this something the parents heard about? Or is this something the school promoted? And how might we learn from your your uh, kid tech program with regards to LEAP? Yeah, so uh, thank you for that question. So we recognized it as a need that um, uh, this was a few years ago where the technology was impacting all of our lives in a meaningful way and that a lot of kids from poorer families did not have computers at home. They did not have access to uh, the opportunity afforded by having a computer. Even though computers were being put into the schools, a lot of the teachers did not have the skills to really teach the kids. And so we provided a curriculum and instructors and really marketed it through the uh, Denver Public Schools and Aurora Public Schools. And now we're in Adams County and and some other areas as well uh, as an after school and, and then in school program for some as well. And uh, so it's I, I view this uh, and kids tech very well could be a, um, a beneficiary of this as kids show up with money to actually, uh, you know, participate in our programs after school. And so, um, you know, it's a it's a great opportunity for many very qual- high quality after school programs that are going on in the state for kids to have the resources to participate in those and to learn about uh, the opportunities that are afforded by them. Well, you know, Mike, in hearing what uh, Doug just said, and also when you consider that our recent K through 12 test scores confirmed that uh, many that are, are learning, as you mentioned, the very opening words you said were, I think you said a three to five months off with regards to where we should be in math and reading. Um, and Mike, you've had an experience in education. I did, didn't you get involved in Teach for America at one time? I was a teacher, and then I uh, and then I was a school principal. I was a principal of three different high schools around the metro area. So I was a teacher and a principal for almost a decade. Well, then you've then you had a little bit of, of background that could help when you're writing of this. We're working on writing of this proposal and putting it together. How do you see the LEAP program helping students bounce, bounce back from the disruptions of the past eighteen months? What should our expectations be? And I have a follow-up to that. Yeah, that's, this is exactly our hope, Earl, is and actually the, the data is more dire even than you suggested. It's for some students, low-income students, students of color, it's 12 to 16 months of learning loss they'll be behind just from COVID. And to give you an example, in some places we're seeing drops uh, so significant that they will outweigh almost all the work we've done to close achievement gaps since No Child Left Behind 20 years ago can almost be wiped out in the last 18 months. And so we have a lot of work to do and a lot of urgency. And I think what this is going to do is allow us to give students a chance to both catch up and and to keep up, you know, and be able to say if they know that they are both teachers doing everything they can from eight to three, but after school, that child can get the additional one-on-one, two-on-one support in math tutoring or in literacy tutoring or support in science, or they want to extend their interests into computer science because they haven't learned about before. The ability to both help them get caught up from those gaps and also help them inspire to themselves to reach out to the next thing, like the 
student that Doug described. That's what we believe this will do. And that's why we're so urgent about getting it set up next year. As we know, the clock is ticking and the need is urgent. So that's why we're set up to get it launched in the summer and fall of 2022. Okay, this is a question for both of you then, because I, you know, I, I oftentimes say in these podcasts, I'm just a simple business guy, okay? And when it comes to business, we we have uh, strategic issues that we're trying to accomplish, but we always have measurement. We're trying to figure out, hey, wait a minute, what are our specific objectives here? In business, that's pretty easy. But you know, it seems to me in education, what you're saying, you basically you laid out some, uh, I think, some uh, what I would consider uh, um, commendable uh, uh, hopes with regards to closing the gap that the kids have now. And for some of them that are really deficient, closing those gaps, how do we measure this? How do we, as a public that have voted for this, say, okay, we know it's working. Our dollars are really getting the results that we hope. How do we measure? Tell us how we and what our expectations should be. I'll give you 12 months out and give me five years out. Because it seems to me that everybody would give any program like this five years. So what would we expect at the end of 12 months at the end of five years? Mike, Doug, I don't care who wants to, Doug, you can say what I would sure. hope to see. And Mike, you can say yeah. this is what you will see. Maybe, Mike, I'll, I'll start out here. So I would say the first thing is that uh, we, the program's got to be working. So the public should expect that the uh, board is uh, put together and that they rapidly start to approve programs that can participate, that the word is out in the schools, and that in the first year, most of the funds that are available are being used by uh, potential students. So you want to have it uh, used and then I'll let Mike comment more, but I think you also do want to measure uh, academic uh, achievement. And I would say also uh, what's happened, it happens to our substance use levels in the schools as well, so. Doug gave us kind of a nice uh, sense of how we're using the funds and that they are being used. I'm still interested in how we're going to change that that uh, educational inequality, Mike, and what should we be expecting LEAP to do towards that? in specific numbers if you could. Yeah, I think one of the things that's really exciting about this is the ability to have a real common and shared accountability system for out-of-school providers. So everyone who's on the platform, any provider that provides services, whether it's the YMCA, whether it's a school district, whether it's a teacher, whether it's Mathnasium or Sylvan, uh, they will have a, a shared accountability and a shared evaluation on this platform. So we'll both have parents and students give their feedback on how well, they think the program did, what kind of services did it provide? And the exciting part is the ability to connect those students to the data from their own schools. So if you're getting math tutoring for a year from Mathnasium or from the YMCA, we'll be able to link that to what was your end of year test scores on your MAPS data, which if you do it oh, three or four times a year, or the state test at the end of the year, and that ought to be able to show us which are the organizations that are really generating results who gets the qualitative support from families who say they really love the experience and the hard data to show that their growth. We think that's a really incredible opportunity. And what it allows us to do is identify the best providers and get more and more kids to go to them, identify the weakest ones and probably not send more kids to them. And so I think that's really what you hope is not that you can guarantee one specific outcome, but that you can build a marketplace that works to show who the strongest providers are and gets more and more kids to those providers. But I think that we should expect we'll see uh, advances in both the number of kids that use it as key from Doug and how well those kids do on things like school attendance and school enthusiasm and yes, school performance. Well, it would seem to me, and I don't mean to be telling you your own business guys, but it would seem to me that you've drawn a baseline and this year's baseline is something that you can measure against. 
So why is I of the kind of the general public not expect that the baseline that you have this year is seeing an improvement on that baseline if LEAP, if LEAP is inactive? So if one third of the kids are only at proficiency level in reading and math, why wouldn't I expect that there would be an improvement on that like maybe up to two thirds or even something more, more significant? I think the key is that there are obviously a lot of variables that go into that, including the quality of the school instruction and the choice the parents make. It's possible that, that a parent says they have a student who's struggling in math, but rather than doing tutoring for math, they really want to inspire them in science. And so they send them to science camp or, or um, because that's going to be a support for them. If they choose that, then we're probably not going to see growth in math uh, numeracy skills from that student, but we might see it in other ways like their engagement in school or their interest in science as a, as a career choice. I think what we'll have to watch is both how many students use the program, what kinds of services those students choose, and then what the results are that we get from those. But yes, we should expect that students who choose tutoring and math and literacy should see real growth in those areas, and we should hold those programs accountable to doing that. I, I respect your Yale Law degree and and the uh, and the response you gave to me, but I'm just a, I'm just a plain old Nebraska boy, and it seems to me that if I can't grow my crop from one year to the next, and I put fertilizer on the soil. And the craft doesn't uh, isn't more pro you know, prolific with regards to yield for me. That fertilizer is not working very well. So it seems to me that maybe uh, just a little simple thing is if we're going to sprinkle the soil with uh, our tax dollars to try to help these students uh, improve, I would hope that we'd get a higher yield. I agree with you entirely, Earl, and I'd use the same metaphor, which is if, if that's the case and the fertilizer is not working, then you change the fertilizer, right? So what this program allows that's, us to do is exactly to say, right. if we're using 10 math programs and they're not getting results, we should change the programs. We should send families to different providers. Not that we should, you know, burn down the crop or sell the farm, but we should actually just substitute a better provider to get better results. And that's what we're going to try to create a system that it will do. Okay. Well, guys, I, I, I thank you for your time. Uh, Doug, I don't know if you have any more that you would like to say, uh, kind of final remarks. And uh, Mike, I'll ask you the same question. Yeah. So um, I guess the other thing that I really like about this initiative, when um, the voters eight years ago passed the legalization of marijuana in Colorado, first state in the country to do it, um, the industry marketed it in a lot of ways as that money was going to be used for education. And that has really not been the case so far. Uh, there is $40 million a year that goes to the BEST program, but that's really about it. And the BEST program is focused on building physical infrastructure for schools, and that's a very good uh, program. But uh, in terms of making a difference in uh, other ways from money coming from the marijuana tax dollars, it hasn't happened. And so this is an opportunity for the marijuana industry to make good on the promise they made to the voters that something uh, good for our education would come out of uh, the, the choice that the voters made. So I like that, and I'll say that as my concluding comment. Mike, uh, would you like to close with any, any additional remarks? I would just add that you know, I think we're always looking in Colorado for ways to be leaders and ways to find innovative ways to solve hard problems. And one of the things we know is we have a lot of nonprofits who really want to provide services to families that can't get access to the resources they need. We have a lot of families and kids who really need those support services and can't find the resources to get them. And we have a real desire to make sure we're building a, an educational ecosystem that's delivering great results and can show that kind of accountability. And this offers us the chance to really do all three of those at once. And so I think this is a real step change in the way we think about supporting uh, our kids across the state. And the reality is we're not going to be able to close those gaps if we're not addressing the 80% of student learning time that's happened 
after the bell rung. Uh, and so I think our goal is beginning to address that time and trying to really level that playing field and create a whole new uh, population of young people who are capable and inspired to make a big difference in the state. Well, it seems to me both of you are saying we've got to have people that are going to be accountable in some kind of administrative position to um, be focused on getting results and creating some accountability that all of us can be aware of. And Mike, Doug, thank you so much for what you all have done in your own way for the community and the public way and also in a private way. Uh, the state of Colorado is very fortunate with regards to your involvements. Thank you. Thank Thanks you so much for having us. Great to be together. Thank you for listening to the Common Sense Digest. For more on today's topic, as well as our research on the most pressing public policy issues facing Colorado, please visit commonsenseinstituteco.org. The preceding episode, along with all others, is available on podcatchers everywhere or on our website under the podcast tab. Our technical producer is John Ekstrom and Deft Communications. This has been a production of the Common Sense Institute.